Hello, listeners, and welcome back. We are doing another interview today with another game designer. Today, we are going to be joined by Mr. Douglas Cole, uh, who, in preparation for this, has sent me a, uh, a small catalog of his products, and I must say, I'm in, I am surprised at the sheer number, the volume of, of products. You're just like, yeah, you know, here's some a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And then you're, you're like, here's a dabble of all these things. And it's like, well, this is just the dabbling of all the things. And I can only imagine what the full catalog of your works must look like. Because you sent me, I think, a good dozen and a half like PDFs and stuff like that. And so it's just like, okay obviously a man with some experience and one of the i will also say on uh, just a uh, initial viewpoint of a lot of these is your the art that you have for these is really and the cover art is particularly nice i see a lot of them where they just they don't they don't look nice you know it looks like something i drew myself and i am a horrible artist uh so it's uh the fact that you're i don't know if you draw them yourself or if you have a cover art. no he's shaking his head violently listeners no 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 uh, i uh, i uh, definitely not i my art direction is famously stick figures oh uh, yeah hey you know xkcd makes it work uh he's been you know, that's been running for several years uh but let us learn today what your your latest project is why don't you go ahead and tell us about that and um and what we're expecting Absolutely. So my latest project uh, is for Steve Jackson Games, The Fantasy Trip. Uh, I am currently the only third-party publisher uh, with a license to produce independent works for both The Fantasy Trip and the Powered by GURPS Dungeon Fantasy role-playing game. Uh, Power of the Moon is, is the name of the project. Uh, it is written by uh, David Pulver, um, and the, the interior maps... Uh, were uh, written by or drawn by uh, Thomas Denmark. Um, the interior illustrations mm. by Billy Blue, uh, and Billy did the cover as well. Nice. Uh, rendered it out of my stick figures, and it did start as stick <laughs> figures. Um, and uh, you know, with you know notations on it like evil bats, and and you know, <laughs> pointing hopefully, and you know, uh, you know, uh, 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 purple prose like lurid moon or whatever. Um, Anyway, so Tower of the Moon is a GM'd adventure. Uh, it is uh, 16 pages long, uh, and it is a gothic-style um, horror adventure uh, for the fantasy trip. Now, the fantasy trip, if I might uh, uh, continue... Oh, please, uh, please do. ...is a, a, an old-school game given new life um, because it was first published in 1980. Uh, and it was fairly popular as a more tactically oriented alternative to D&D. Uh, it made some different choices uh, in, in what it did. Uh, but then after a bit, uh, the company that published it, Metagaming, uh, for whom Steve Jackson worked at the time, went under. And, of course, Steve wrote it for Metagaming, and the license okay. and the work stayed with Metagaming, who did nothing with it. And the company went away, and, and when an intellectual property lies fallow... Uh, or or unused, uh, perhaps mm -hmm. I'm using the word follow wrong. I don't think so. No, um, I think it's. But uh, but when it lies unused for thirty years, uh, the original writer can reclaim it under U.S. copyright law, and Steve nice. did that. Um, and so in 2018 or 2017, um, let me check the copyright date. Um, the fantasy trip copyright 1980 2018. There we go. In 2018, uh, Steve Jackson Games. Uh, revitalized 
the fantasy trip nice. uh, with a what he called the legacy edition. It made some tweaks to the rules or whatever, but what it did, and I'm stepping away for a moment, was produce this Ooh, monstrosity. Look at this. I like big box, and I cannot. Okay, no, you have to. Edit, you might need to edit that. No one should hear me rap ever. Um, but uh, in any uh, case, it's monstrous. It's what. It's like five inches. I'm just, I'm, you don't have to edit it, but really, I should never. I ne- please stop me before I rap again. Uh, it's what? It's got to be eight or nine inches wide, at least twelve or thirteen inches tall, four or five. But it's huge, and it's got a very large number of die cut figures. Uh, but inside it is uh, the in the labyrinth role playing game rules, melee, wizard, a bunch of adventures, and all kinds of stuff. And so, yeah. Oh, it, and it, it's. It's a game that will support a very large role-playing game, uh, but much like the micro-games of the early 80s, like Car Wars and Ogre and stuff like that, it also supports, I have 40 minutes to eat lunch. Let's make a character on a 3 by 5 card. And you do that in a couple minutes. It doesn't take long. Um, and let's fight. And, you know, you might kill each other a couple of times in the 30 minutes while you're eating your lunch or whatever and and it's a very quick very lethal um uh little combat system that supports very fast play um and and so the tft is so a a game a a short adventure with a couple of levels like tower of the moon um can kill you really quick um and and if you're if you're not careful or you do uh, uh foolish things uh, or even not so foolish things if you fall for whatever traps are in there. So, so it TFT supports a horror adventure in the same way that first or second level swords and wizardry supports a horror adventure. One or two blows and you're dead. Okay. Right. It, it's not kind of the oh I'm a barbarian with 700 hit points and resistance to everything and blah 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 and and um. That, that, I, that's not mean to disparage 5th edition. I find it a very robust game engine. But uh, but TFT can... You're never safe. Yeah. You can be powerful, but you're never safe. Kind of like a, a Powered by the Apocalypse thing. Like, you know, it, it doesn't really... Like, even if you level and level and level, there's still... Uh, it's very easy to die. The fundamental vulnerability of being human never leaves you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, Tom... So... There's the fantasy trip and the into the labyrinth. That's Which right. of these is the name of the actual like uh, like system of rules, or are they the fantasy, both? The fantasy trip is is the system, and there are several books under it or or sub games. Melee was okay. the first uh, system, which is exactly what it sounds. It's a it's a micro game for fighters dueling it out with, you know, slogging each other to death. Then there, and that, by the way, at least as long as COVID is COVIDing, um, is still free, I believe, on drive through RPG in PDF form. You can nice. download the basic rules and, and, and see what it's about. Uh, it is very short, uh, but you can see in it, it, it has very certain, very much certain things that you can do. Your actions are prescribed. That doesn't mean that they are limited in description, um, but you know, you move, and it's like it, it, it has a lot in common, I think, with certain of the tactical war games. You know, it's not as brutally complicated as something like Squad Leader, but you have a move phase and then a hit people phase, and then you go back gotcha. to move phase, and then, right? And, and what you can do, you know, if you get into someone's front hex, you're engaged and you can't move out without taking a very gotcha. specific action, blah, blah, blah. So, point is about that there's melee, there's wizard, which was about 
dueling casters. And then with the with magic and fighters taken care of, uh, then the in the labyrinth rule set um, expanded those, combined those, enhanced them with some more depth. Uh, and gotcha. then wrapped a role-playing system around it, uh, you know, talents and rules for hiking and a bunch of monsters and blah, 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 right? So, gotcha. uh, and so that was really designed to be the full campaign experience, whereas uh, Melee and Wizard are combat micro-games. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, that, that makes sense. I understand. Um, so, with that, the there's the, there's the whole rule set, there's the micro-games... This is for the. This takes into effect the whole rule set. That is correct. That is and correct. It, it's already written, right? So, listeners, if you've listened to a few of these, usually I'm interviewing somebody who's like starting up a podcast. Like the last one we did, not a podcast, sorry, a Kickstarter. Kickstarter. Yeah, sure. Uh, the last one we did, you know, luckily um, it was for a Kickstarter adventure. It had already funded, so like you didn't have to worry about that. But this one, it was just already ready to go. And so, this is basically just saying to everybody, hey, do you want to try a new thing? Because right. it's already ready. So exactly, yeah. So so I am no stranger to Kickstarter. I have run either eleven or twelve, um, successfully funded all but one delivered, uh, either on time or ahead of schedule. Uh, that one, when I looked at the manuscripts, I said I don't think that this is what my backers will enjoy as much as they should, um, and so. The good news is the prior 10 had given me some political capital, so to speak. Um, and I said, I need to work on these. And I don't want to give you anything second rate. The ideas that I've gotten are brilliant. Uh, but I think that they need work. Yeah, uh, so just a little I, polish. Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, maybe a there, there were some agency problems. There was some uh, uh, presentation and structure. Uh, and there was, in my opinion, I have a rule when I make things for money. Don't give the game master homework. Yeah, um, that makes sense. Right? If you're buying something from me, you're paying me to have done a lot of the work for you. Yeah. That doesn't mean everything is provided. If I have an encounter idea that's a little paragraph, that's an idea. But the treasure needs to be there Uh what are some of the options that the players might do and what are the responses that the prime factors that the bad guys or alternate factions, whatever, might do? Uh, uh, you know, layout situations, not, not railroads, and, and don't put the NPCs in the spotlight where the players need to be driving the action. Yeah. So, so there were some, some uh, sins against some of those that required uh, uh, intervention, and, and it, that took me a while. Uh, anyway, that's I digress. So, I'm no stranger to Kickstarter. I've done about a dozen of them. Uh, but in this particular case, I received the manuscript for Tower of the Moon while I was in the middle of a prior project. Um, and David is a very experienced writer. He's very good at what he does. Uh, and I read through it. I'm like, yeah, this is going to work. Um, and, you know, I did my editing and stuff. But, but, you know, he gave me something I knew I could work with. And so again, right? You know, some some publishing companies. Uh, I don't know how many still do this, but I think many, many some do. Uh, anyway, I paid him. I'm like, you know what? This is fine. I accept this manuscript. Uh, so here's your money. Um, and then my artist was like, oh, you know, by the way, I'm running a special where anything that's paid in full 
gets a discount, and it was a fairly substantial discount for whatever reason. So yeah, I'm nice. like, okay, cover. I need, you know, and so I did a preliminary layout because I've done this is my fifteenth fantasy trip book, um, and uh, I have a tendency to do them in batches. This is one of the first ones I've only done just the one. Um, in any case, long story less long, I poured it into layout. I don't have to work too hard about that because I have a template and a format and, and, a, and a, a, a production style that works. I put yeah. it in there. I did it. I like, okay, this is what I need. Uh, talk to the author a little bit. But anyway, so you know, I, I paid the, the cartographer for the maps. I paid the artist for the stuff. I paid David for the work. I'm like, all right, that's, that's, it's done. I, I don't need to fund this. I don't need to go to Kickstarter and pretend that there's uncertainty here. Um, yeah. Uh, so I went direct to Backerkit, which has some advantages uh, in, you know, you get paid right away for one thing. If you make a go to Backerkit and, and, and say, I'm buying an eye on, an ad, buying the add-on, uh, I get paid right away. It goes right into, as soon as I charge cards. And, and basically I said, it's done, you're going to get charged right away. Um, but as part of that, anything that you buy, uh, either the new thing or my back catalog, you will be able to download as soon as I charge your card. Uh, so the gratification will be nearly instant. Um, and the other thing that I could do uh, is this particular adventure started life as an OSR, Swords and Wizardry adventure, a little mm -hmm. bit longer, um, but with some fairly fundamental cosmological differences okay. uh, in that like the, the moon goddess Lucariel, whose tower this is a temple of, uh, the, you know, the, the Tower of the Moon is a temple to the moon goddess Lucario. Uh, in, in a D&D &D world, that goddess is a real being. Uh, in, in TFT, one of the conceits of the system is that there are no real gods and goddesses that walk around. You know, anything huh. that... Uh, yeah, so, so you can cast spells, and there are religions, but you don't get to chat with Woden. You don't get to have, you know... Uh, a, a, a social with Aphrodite, uh, you don't um, get to hobnob with Krishna. That's not there. Um, and so, because of all these things, um, it, it, they, it has to play differently, and so you need to tweak it. And then, of course, you need to tweak the combat stats and blah, blah, blah. So, yeah. so it was available, it's been available uh, as a PDF, but as part of the rewriting, they were able to do effectively what is the Tower of the Moon 2nd Edition. Um, and all the all, all the backers who bought the OSR version because that was available as well got the original. But when they tweaked it, they got that too. Uh, oh, as nice! A second, as a, as a second wave. But the other thing was is that was part of and this is the neat thing. Backer Kit has a feature where every add-on you can make it effectively a stretch goal. This only unlocks if a certain number are ordered. Gotcha. And it's nice because you can say, well, the printing cost is blah, and I want to make sure I cover my cost and print a certain number. Yeah. And, and, you know, so basically we decided that if 20 were ordered, um, that that would be enough that the authors would be happy uh, with their substantial cut of the... Uh, uh, of the, uh, I don't, I don't, it's their, st I mean, OSR is their thing, so yeah. I, I don't 
take much other than you know a little bit of shipping and and the processing you know the processing fee for that but it, you know, it was a boost to them for 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 what they were doing but that also sort of unlocked so to speak that second edition pdf uh that went to the went to the printer uh but you know we got about 30 orders so far uh for that and so it unlocked to 20 and so uh, i i ordered 50 and you know hopefully i'll be able to sell through them um but uh, we'll see gotcha so Steve Jackson Games is pro- arguably most famous for Munchkin, right? Uh, at, at, at this time, that is 100% true. That yeah. is their bread and butter. They admit it. It's where their money is. Yep. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Um, but they've got, you know, it sounds like they have quite a catalog. And I'll admit, um, I don't, most of my learning about other TTRPGs outside of Paizo products is when a podcast i'm listening to plays it specifically um critical hit plays like uh, a bunch of different ttrpgs and i had never heard of it uh no sorry the fantasy trip um i just i had no idea it existed uh so what kind of system is it like it sounds like there's quite a catalog of options for it like adventures and things like that but like um, is it like a D20 system, a D6 system, uh, is 3D it a diceless system? 3D6 roll low. Gotcha. It's, it's really, what it boils down to, to uh, or ND6 roll low, most frequently three. Uh, so it, it, it's a very simple um, game by design. Uh, you have three stats, uh, uh, strength, dex, and IQ. Um... Uh, your hit, your hits, hit points, so to speak, are based on your strength. Um, you, the number of spells you can learn, um, and, and how complicated the spells are based on your IQ. Uh, and to to smack somebody in the face with a sword or to cast a spell, uh, you roll three D against your dexterity, uh, which uh, usually is going to wind up between eight and eighteen. Um, gotcha. You you build characters. By the minimum base is eight, and that's so at eight plus eight plus eight is twenty-four, and you divide eight points between those. Gotcha. Right. So if you wanted to be strength sixteen, dex eight, IQ eight, you could do so. But every time you try and hit somebody with your mighty strength sixteen weapon, uh, you're rolling three d against an eight, which is I'm hitting one time in four. Yeah. Um, and, and so if you're lucky. Well, I mean, that's the probability, right? Yeah. So, yeah, so you're hitting one time in four. Um, and so that's not an awesome character build, although, you know, your hope there is that you lay a glove, so to speak, or an axe uh, or a two-handed sword on the other guy before your 16 strength goes away. Um, but you get different builds, and as you get experience, you can increase your stats, and that has commensurate uh, uh, uh benefits to to how well you hit and stuff uh it is not an opposed roll system like gurps where i need to roll to see if i've thrown a blow good enough to hit but then you have an active defense that can negate my hit yeah um and uh so it's quick uh it it it, it's quick it's lethal uh because you know a broadsword might do 2d 2d6 uh all the dice are six-sided um so keeps it easy it does keep it easy, and at the time, remember when it was published in 1980, polyhedrals were not necessarily everywhere. Yeah. So here, you can, you know, you know, in, in 2021, uh, you can walk into any store and find a set of dice. I mean, it's crazy where you find 
Set of you know, I, these days. I was surprised the first time I saw like D and D stuff at Walmart. I was like, "Wow, it's really, it's, it's really made its mark at this point." If if even Walmart is selling like beginner right. boxes, right? Exactly. Anyway, so yeah, um, so D six because everyone had them and that was a yep. thing um, back back in nineteen eighty. Uh, and so, but you know, you as you because it's not an opposed role system. Uh, you know, once your decks gets to 12, 13, 14, you're effectively going to be hitting almost every round. Um, and so your opponent needs to be clever to either in positioning and using their movement, uh, you know, backing up and using a spear or taking advantage of defending moves or maybe running in to, to engage hand-to-hand combat, which is, encompasses grappling and stuff, uh, that do something so that you are not just rolling... 3D against a 14 yeah. um, to, to hit me, which is a 90% chance of success. So I'm just praying you miss. Um, now, in Fantasy Trip, armor subtracts from damage. Gotcha. Um, so, uh, but even like, you know, uh, uh, fine plate armor uh, is minus four to your decks and absorbs six hits. So again, Broadsword 2D does seven. So one will probably get through. You're not going to ignore it. Yeah. Um, but uh, my 14 decks just turned into 10. Yeah. Because of the armor. So yeah. that's how it's balanced. Basically, every point of armor of, of weapon damage absorption is minus one to your dexterity. Yeah. And that's more or less how it's balanced. Yeah. And I've I've heard some people comment that a lot of the more popular RPGs like Pathfinder and Fifth Edition, they you know again not to knock them in general, but like one of the detracting statements is that it turns into a I stand here and swing at you, and then you swing at me, and then I swing at you, and you know I don't want to move because then I don't get as many attacks and yada right. yada. It, so. There's there's an attritional element to it that when Fifth uh, Edition released their OGL. I was talking to Tim Shorts and, and a few other people about some of the pros and cons of the system, um, and a couple of things came up, and, and I did try and... Uh, I started with, oh, here's a little quick tweak to the combat rules, and then, because um, I was in my turning from kind of a... Technically a pro writer, because I had been writing for pay for Steve Jackson Games and Pyramid yep. Magazine, and I had written GURPS Martial Arts Technical Grappling for them. Um, but as I was transitioning into writing for my own stuff, um, I, I decided, and this was before I had a license, uh, I looked at 5th edition, I'm like, wow, this is a great robust game engine, but there's some things that I don't care for. You are the Shield Bash po- podcast. I didn't like how they handled shields. Because I was like, you know, in my mind at the time, and there's more to this later, uh, in my mind, a big shield that occludes half your body really ought to be more than worth more worth more than plus two to armor class, which is on a D20 system a 10% change in the probability of landing a hit. Yep. Um, if you're occluding half your body, it seemed to me that it would be more than that. Um, but I didn't know, so I went and joined a HEMA group that does Viking sword and shield fighting um, and learned. And yes, indeed, with your shield in front of you, you're hard to hit, uh, yes. especially if you're using it properly. Um but yeah, anyway, I used I to do a... used to do Belagarth myself. Um, okay. If you're yeah, if you're familiar with it, and like I I was a sword and board fighter myself. Uh, it was <clears throat> the most of it, and you know, like you said, if you're using it right, it's basically you know, if they're in front of you and you're using your shield properly, they do not hit you. 
and I think the thing that most pe- now now certain uh, uh, reenactment groups and certain reenactment rules, uh, I, I think, um, motivate a little bit the "I'm going to beat the heck out of you until your guard goes down." Um, the way that we learn, I'm not saying right or wrong, but the way that we learn is different. We're going to do manipulation um, and and uh, call it shield and sword fencing until we get a place where we can strike past the guard and not get struck in return. Um, we we it's just a slightly different style. It's a very different style, but it's, it's it has a lot in common with sort of sword and buckler, where you're not really going to have a lot of armor. Um, and you're using the shield to deny lines. So that was the thing. The, the other thing is that the biggest thing that I found is that when you're fighting to not die, as opposed to first hit, right? like if you're doing Taekwondo sparring like I used to or whatever, a lot of beginner combat sports, Kendo even, uh, first hit gets the point. Um, and if you get hit after that, if I kick you and then get kicked back, as long as what I've done is legal, the fact that you kick me back does not matter. I get the point. Um, gotcha. And right, so so the thing that I found interesting is that when you get away from that and say no, if you hit me with your sword after I hit you, we both bleed to death. That's yeah. not a win condition. And so the thing about the shield not just says, oh, I block a blow, is I'm going to make you not attack because anything you do will be so risky of opening yourself to a counter-strike or whatever that you're simply going to look at that shield and say, I need to do something to have a line on the target. Uh, But anyway, none of that I felt was really captured real well, um, or at least explicitly. And part of that is hit points have always been supposed to represent everything, almost everything but blood. Yeah. Um, But I started gaming in 1981, and playing D&D off and on in various editions, uh, except 4th, not out of any judgment thing. I just wasn't playing D&D at the time that 4th came out. Um, I have never once had a game master say, okay, you exceeded the target's armor class, so now he's nervous and loses 10 hit points. I've always had it described as... As 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 uh, uh, you know, you've struck him, or you bright bloods right here. Right? And, but that, but but in reality, you tired him out, you scared him, you made a yeah. retreat. That's yeah. what in, on you know the DM's guide, page eighty-two, and I refer to this all the time uh, because he's like, look, no, uh, even if you're a twelfth or fifteenth level fighter and you got a hundred hit points, you maybe you could take a couple more sword blows, but really, we're all human, and so those hit points can't represent you getting cleaved 10 times as much yeah. as a first level fighter it's defense it's whatever whatever that being said there's a mechanical narrative disconnect at yeah. least in the games that i've played i know some people don't do it this way well i mean i've seen it even there's even a mechanical mechanical disconnect because you're right like i've like i'll reference back to critical hit one of their longtime dms rodrigo he describes it the way you did where it's you know when you're when you take these hit point damage it's as much of like okay yeah you actually just got a cut or you know it's a bruise or they you know cut off some of your like a strap of your armor but all these games also tend to have healing magic which restores hit points and it's like then there's also the spells of like okay if it's wearing down your armor these spells don't fix your armor, they just fix right. you. So it's like, right. it's one of those things where it's like, uh, it the mechanics and the mechanics don't always mesh, but 
yeah it, it's it, it's one of those things that's weird enough in the game that generally we just kind of all let it run to our own imagination at right, our tables right. just because it's like okay when you're down to one or two hit points yeah it kind of makes sense that you're bloody nosed and battered and bruised and everything right. but if you lose 20 you know somebody didn't just like cut your hand off Right. So, so what I wound up doing is I created a game based on Fifth Edition called called Dragon Heresy. Uh, it's 288 pages. It's a complete RPG covering levels one to five because I couldn't afford to produce levels one to twenty because you got to start somewhere. Um, and I had written, I wrote 400,000 words. Um, I wrote That's 130. A lot. It, it's a lot. It, it's basically 800 pages. Um, and it was a complete one to twenty because the SRD is very complete. Yeah. And out there to be used. And so I wrote, because I had done this Viking martial arts thing with the sword and shield, um, I and the play test wound, uh, where I was testing the the new rules, which fundamentally you have wounds and vigor. And vigor is everything the hit points were, except very explicitly they're not blood. Yeah. And wounds are blood. If you take wounds, you have taken actual injury, which takes days and weeks to heal, not, you know, a good night's sleep and a kiss from mom. Um so, which is how a friend of mine uh, uh, described the long and short rest. Um, but uh, in any case, that aside, what you could do is if you rolled well enough above what I call the threat DC, which is a blow good enough that the other guy has to worry about it, if you roll high enough above that, you bypass vigor. Gotcha. And go right to wounds. Um, kind of like and, a kind of like a critical hit. Yeah, kind of. Their crit critical hits still do what they used to do, which is double the damage dice that you roll. Yeah. Um, but it's yeah, it's a, it's a blow skillful enough that it's overcome the endurance, luck, and weapon skill because the the amount of that you have to make over the target's threat DC is based on their uh, I think it's like eight plus the proficiency. Um, so it's you know you have to make your roll by ten uh, if you're foe's proficiency is plus two and you have to make it by 14 um if he's in the top tier uh gotcha. so you have to make it significantly right and, and your uh, your threat dc is like 10 plus the dex modifier and a shield adds four to that for gotcha. medium shield so with this with a shield your base number that you have to even make the guy worry about if you have a good dexterity uh it might be 16 17 or 18 um Armor absorbs hits. Armor absorbs damage, like in, in GURPS and TFT. Gotcha. Um, and anyway, so point was about that is is that uh, so I had this this game um, that uh, uh, that I wanted to do with, with that, that uh, I've I've lost the train a little bit. <laughs> um, I'm trying to remember why Dragon Heresy came up, but in any uh, case, the, we, were, uh, we were talking about how Fifth Edition didn't do justice to shields. Very good. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, so the point is, is and I, I sort of alluded to it, is that shields give a huge bonus to your ability to be hit at all, right? And, and in order to even have something to worry about, uh, if, you have, uh, if you have a shield, you have to roll you know, four higher. If you have a small shield, maybe it's two or three higher. If you have a tower shield or a, sc a Roman scutum that's you know, 45 or 48 inches tall and, and really covers your entire front arc, maybe it's plus six or plus eight, right? It, it basically gives you the same 
defensive bonus that cover does because it kind of is. Gotcha. Um, yeah. The other thing is if you don't have a shield and someone shoots an arrow at you, you don't get to any threat is a hit that goes potentially right to wounds or hits your armor. So bows get a lot scarier because without a shield. With a shield, you're, it, it does count because you can block an arrow with a shield. That's yeah. one of the great things that they're used for. If you don't have that and you're not a monk, martial artist, parry missile weapons, whatever, um, then then the only thing that you can do if someone shoots an arrow at you and exceeds your threat DC is use your reaction to throw yourself out of the way, which accepts double vigor but avoids wounds. And vigor comes back quickly. Gotcha. Gotcha. And gotcha. if you want to block, if you want to take a blow on the shield, you can use your reaction. Now, Pathfinder 2.0 did this as well, although I had my system published before Pathfinder did this. Of course, oh, let's spend a reaction. To, you know, they didn't take, right? No. But but it's a sensible thing. You have a shield out there. Someone swings at you. You insert your shield in the way. That's your reaction. That makes sense as a simple. If you have this bonus action or reaction or this thing that you can do as a response, which 5th edition and Pathfinder 2 both do. Actually, Pathfinder 1 has it in various ways, right? Yep. Um, it makes sense to do it that way. I did it that way. They did it that way. It's just, you know, like like they said in Buffy. You know, I didn't jump to conclusions. I took a tiny step, and their conclusions were. Um, so it's not exactly profound design. Nor is wounds and vigor. I'm not the first yeah. person to do that either. Um, but putting all these things together made for an interesting system. And I also embedded a, a more interesting grappling system, uh, which wound up being my first Kickstarter um, dungeon grappling. So, gotcha. But yeah, yeah, you know. So that's kind of the. The early stages of what I was doing really in publishing was really 5th edition. Um, but then after I had uh, done my second Kickstarter, which was a short adventure called Lost Hall of Tear, um, that was at Gen Con 50. And nice. I said, all right, so I, I said to uh, Steve and Phil, who were there, because that was when the Dungeon Fantasy role-playing game was coming out, I went and I said, I have this adventure. The art is done. The adventure is done. Uh, let me convert it to the Dungeon Fantasy role-playing game. Let me publish independently for you. And they said, wait. Let's see how it does. And so I waited. And eventually, wait became interesting. And interesting became yes. Um, and I said, okay, great. What if I didn't just... You know, I've gotten some feedback on, on the adventure, which was designed as a convention adventure. Yeah. Which is different than, hey, let's put this into your campaign, right? A convention adventure very frequently has a beginning, a middle, and an end. Yes. And, and right, you do this so that you can make sanity. Self-contained lasts about four hours. Self-contained lasts four hours, exactly. Um, absolutely. So it took some narrative shortcuts that were appropriate around the table at Gen Con 50 and are not, were not appropriate um, for anything other than a one-shot. And if you're publishing it out there, that adventure has going to be dropped in the middle of a campaign and that's the other thing that i tried i learned from that uh don't do something in an adventure that requires your buying public to do everything your way my setting my rules my background assumptions my cosmology great unless they're doing exactly what you're doing and playing at your table yeah. they don't care they don't care they want to be able to drop this into their campaign so yeah. leave hooks or prepare to be underwhelmed by your response. Um, or set it in the middle of a popular intellectual property, but you better have license to do it. Right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so there are things that you can do, uh, and that is one of the nice things about the 5th edition OGL. 
uh, is that there are places that you can set things. Um, but oh, yeah. I believe you have to be very careful uh, about that. There are places you can set things where where you don't get bit by the IP dragon uh, that people are like, oh, I can use that in my adventure. Um, yeah. In any case, so Lost Hall of Tear blew, blew up from 64 to 128 pages. Uh, I added a couple intermediate conflicts. I added an entire settlement, uh, a big town with an interesting, you know, in set in, it's called Isfjall, the Mountain of Ice, and it's way off to the west in in my fake land, uh, which maps actually one-to-one to Minnesota because that's where I live. Um, all the major cities in in, in, in Nordland uh, are, are the county seats in Minnesota. Oh. Um, and, uh, you know, whatever. Um, that makes Wait, the bad guys well, Canada, by the way. Uh, but uh, you know, so it was—it was just the dungeon fantasy role-playing game is a big, wet, sloppy kiss to most of the dungeon exploration tropes, right? And so I threw myself full into trope land. Of course, there's a magical wall dividing the bad guys from the good guys. Uh, of course, there was a dragon empire. Of course, you got fairy and tricksums, and I embraced the Norse mythology, which even when I started. I knew had some cool stuff in it, but the deeper I went, the cooler it got. Uh, the Vikings were basically your OG D&D party. We're going to get a bunch of our guys together over the summer after the planting is done, sail somewhere and kill things and take their stuff. And that is a perfectly cool thing to do, uh, according to their culture. Now, you know, 90% of them are farmers and didn't do that. Uh, and there's, you know, lots of unsavory parts of that culture. But in terms of the D&D role-playing fantasy tropes, Boom, that's the place. So I just went whole hog and said, well, I'm going to make this a Viking culture. Um, and yeah, I got to build a really fun thing. And one of the things that I did in this, you know, there are festivals. And it lists, hey, you know, here's the summer festivals, here's the winter festivals, blah, blah, blah. And, and subsequent books have blown that out. And so one of the ways that I always love to introduce new players is they show up in a town and it's having a party. Uh, yeah. in, in, in medieval times, there were something like 60 major holy days every year uh, about one a week they found an excuse to throw down and, and do cool stuff um, and so you come in and let's say you got a couple of players who don't know anything about Viking culture hard to hard to avoid in, in the pop culture these days yeah um, but you know but fine whatever they don't know anything about Viking culture except maybe it's a football team uh, maybe they've never role played before um, but you know at least the, at least the historical Vikings conquer something right you know they might my home team has issues, um, but uh, right. But you come into town and there's people having a quarterstaff competition and people having a archery competition and people having a wrestling competition and peeping ha- people having a rap battle. Uh, 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 flighting uh, was the thing where the Vikings would do poetic, scaldic verse insults at each other, and it appeared in some of the edits and stuff. But but so you have something where the bard can learn how to do cool things with bardy stuff and the fighter can do his thing and the scout can engage in an archery contest and you can figure out how grappling works as you can wrestle uh and and you know when people have an argument they wrestle and and fisticuffs but they don't draw weapons and stuff because that brings the town guard and that's a serious thing and blah 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 so it gives you a way a great way to introduce people to the People, the places, the things, the culture, the atmosphere of a world. Yes. Uh, in a pretty much non-threatening way, because yes. you know the archery contest is not against orcs, and you're not likely to to get uh, uh, killed 
um, in it, unless you roll a really bad crit fail. Um, <laughs> uh, but you know, whatever, whatever. So it allows you to really introduce. So I got I got to do a lot of that. The book went wound up being um, uh, 128 pages long. Uh, I got to put in a lot more art, uh, which I always loved. I love putting in art in my books. It's it's very it's it's the single most expensive part of publishing a book. Yeah. Um, is 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 and most. I, I, I think these days most people know that, but I still run into to conversations where people assume that electrons are free and the most expensive thing is, is print. Um, and, and it's simply not the case. Um, the, the art is the most expensive out of, out of it. And everything, to, to just get to a place where you have a PDF that you can spool out to, to, to publish as a physical product or even to publish as a PDF, uh, you know, I, I would probably say two thirds to three quarters of the money spent is is there. Uh, I'm not. I'm, I'm not surprised. Like we've spent the past couple hundred years figuring out how to make books cheaper. You know, artists right. they spend years, years getting to where they're at to the point where yeah. they can do this professionally themselves. And like I Correct. mentioned, I can't draw, so like right. I, I have no problems. You know, and I. I don't know what to properly pay an artist, but I know it's not cheap because it, it's hard. It's difficult. It, it, yeah, and, and you, you, you can find uh, my art team is brilliant. Um, I, I have about a dozen people that I work with regularly. Uh, you know, they've now, I've, I've published 30 books now. Um, yeah, and that's a lot. I, 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 I haven't written all of them, but I've published 30. Uh, and I've worked with a lot of the same one artist Juan Ochoa uh, has been with me from the very beginning the very first book uh, that I did was Dungeon Grappling uh, and, Grappling and Rules for D&D that do not suck What what what's his last name again Ochoa O C H O A he is from Colombia uh, Bogota um, and he has been with me I don't know he hasn't now contributed to every book but he's contributed to most of them uh brilliantly quick uh and nice. like he'll come to me for something and and like oh here's what i have for the sketch and like you know that's not really what i pictured at all and so he'll throw up the art the thing on his on his uh on the computer screen he's like okay call me and we'll do a freaking google hangout and by the time the conversation is over the sketch is totally redone and and, and so he's just really fast that that's really his is and you know technically he's quite good as well but he used to do commercial art like advertising and then he stopped that and now he's a fantasy artist uh role-playing cool. game illustrator all the time um and, and so the thing is that he got very very good at working quickly uh yeah. and and so whenever i'm in a pinch he's one of my go-to guys i'm like juan do you have time for me and and because of some things that have happened between us in the past, he always says yes. Like, he was having some trouble, and I was like, well, instead of... Uh, he, he mentioned in passing uh, that he was working on my stuff, he was working on some other stuff, but his hand was cramping because his tablet was too small. So I bought him and shipped him a 21-inch drawing tablet. tablet. Yeah. Uh, and he's like, "Why are you doing this?" I'm like, "It's an—I mean, it's your fee for what we're doing, but it's an investment because if your hand is not cramped, we can work more together. You know, occasionally. You know, anyway. Point is, is that he and I have a long-standing, very good relationship. Uh, 
and so when I can, I throw him as much work as I can, and when he can, he will be like, okay, you know, I will get all 30 of these drawings done. In this particular case, the 30 is like these, like, two-inch black and white sketches for character yeah. stuff. Oh, I'll, I'll do that to you in, like, 24 hours or something. And he just... <laughs> so anyway, so you, you build a team of people who have a shared vision, uh, who think well for the things that you use them for, uh, who communicate well with you back and forth. So I've got about a dozen artists that are my go-tos, and, and they fill my works with uh, uh, pretty pictures, and I, and I like them for it. Speaking of these things, so you had mentioned... Gen Con, uh, you're up north, so I imagine, you know, you, do you hit up, like, Gary Con and stuff like that, too? Uh, so like, how often I have are you at conventions, conventions for people to find you? Infrequently, honestly. Uh, Gen Con, I went for a variety of reasons. Um, I had purchased a seat at the Dungeon Fantasy role-playing game, game with Sean Punch, the guy who wrote the system, uh, and I, was a, I, I really wanted GURPS to break out again. Uh, and, and I like playing fantasy games, and so I was a huge supporter of that product. Uh, and eventually I wound up writing, uh, contributing to that product, so yay team. Um, but I was going to be there for a reason. But it, and at the time, I only had the one book, the Dungeon Grappling book, uh, uh, available. And so from a financial perspective, it was a colossal disaster, right? Because right, and there's no way that it could be. Could yeah. not be. I mean, Gen Con's expensive. The tickets are expensive. Getting there is expensive. Shipping your inventory is expensive. The hotels are freaking expensive. Uh, and it's, yep. you know, going to cost you 15 bucks for a piece of pizza or whatever, right? Um, that was actually yeah. a game hole con of $7 for a piece of pizza. Um, yep. But, you know, so, so everything's expensive. And so I probably dropped like two, three thousand dollars $3,000. And my entire, the, the Dungeon Grappling book, Whole Kit and Caboodle, was like $6,000. Um, and to, to both, you know, it's what I brought in and it's also what I spent. I broke even on it. Um, but it was uh, my very first Kickstarter, which I delivered over a month ahead of time and, and whatever. And it's a pretty book. Um, but the uh, point about that is, is that I have found that in my experience with my prior product catalog, uh, conventions don't work for me. Gotcha. Uh, they especially didn't work back before a year from now. Um, of course, the last year or so has been COVID lockdowns, but I had a day job um, gotcha. uh, up until last year when, when, I, was, when I was laid off uh, and talked to my family and said, okay, I'm going to try gaming ballistic as my thing. I'm going to do this professionally. This is my job. Um, but before that, uh, everything had to work around a, a nine to five. Um, yeah, and I, it was a nine to five that. where I could get called in for a production problem or because uh, I was the manager of a uh, clean room, you know, photo lithography, etch depth. Uh, I, I have a PhD in material science and engineering, so my and, and a ba background in management and project management. So, uh, you know, that was a big deal, right? I had to be ready to, to serve the needs of the disk drive industry uh, when they called. Uh, and so I couldn't just say, oh, I'm leaving on a Wednesday or a Thursday so that I can do a game convention several times a year. Um, yeah. and, and after my first couple experiences where I really just lost money, um, that was not something that I felt I could afford to do. Uh, going forward, now that we're hopefully coming out of the Delta variant, who knows, but you know, now that we're hopefully coming around where most people are vaccinated and things are happening, or either that or it's becoming endemic and, and this is something we're going to have to deal with, um, 
as we get more and more into in-person conventions, and my product catalog is now 30 books, maybe if I set up a table at a role-playing game convention, uh, things will go well. Uh, I was at a uh, tabletop board game sales event yesterday here in the Twin Cities. Okay. Um, which most, you know, you got people with piles of games that they've accumulated. They're looking to buy, sell, trade, swap. Uh, board game sellers are, you know, the source, uh, not the source, Source Comics and Games is there with their stuff. Uh, and I laid out all of my product, uh, even some of the wooden swords and shields that I make and sell, uh, and I sold zero. Uh, uh. Right? So so it was, it was, now fortunately it cost me $38 and it's local. Yeah. Right? Um, but wrong venue maybe um i don't know you know maybe you know people just weren't there for uh D, unless it was old D and oh look here's a first or second edition D D book that i so so it, i don't think it was the hey i'm here to learn a new game or i'm hurting you know if, if i'm a tabletop role-playing game guy i'll go to con of the north maybe actually even convergence the the big uh, thing here i was the only dedicated role-playing game seller there when i went a few years ago uh, the convention that I've done the best at uh, twice now in terms of profitability was FNORDCON, Steve Jackson Games' virtual convention, mm. where I didn't have to ship my inventory anywhere. Yeah. Um, right? There was a coupon code, and people would come and do the thing and say, you know, oh, here, Gaming Ballistic, he's got cool stuff. Oh, I'm already here for Steve Jackson Games. Yay! And, you know, so I might make three or $400, um, which wouldn't even dent the fees to get to Gen Con, right? Yeah. Um, and so, so conventions have not worked out well for me. Uh, I do recognize that being seen, having my games played, um, and, and having the chance to interact with people, et cetera, et cetera, uh, would be a benefit to me. I, at some point, I need to take that chance. Uh, uh, Game Hole Con in Wisconsin uh, is coming up, but I would have been required to get a table last year. I don't know. Maybe there's still a table available. This is COVID. I should call. Yeah, um, I mean, you can check it out. I should call and say, hey, do you have any open space? And if so, maybe I can zip out there. And um, if you do go, uh, I know one of, a couple of guys in our podcast are intending to go up there, so we, I there can we go. point them uh, your to, direction. To Game Hall? Yep. Oh, yeah, cool. one of the guys, he, I mean, he goes to, like, everything. Um, <laughs> because he's, you know, his kids are old enough that they're out of the house, and he's yep. got gobs and gobs of PTO, so. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Um. Yeah, anyway, so so I, I have not made myself a big part of the convention circuit as of yet. I, I, I've been focusing on just trying to make content. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it's a funny thing. Um, you really need five, six, seven, eight, nine hundred customers. Ideally, you need that four figures. Yeah. If, if I could bring in 1,500 customers on any given thing that I do, there's no book or project uh, that doesn't involve a large amount of stuff like a box set with counters and plastic pieces and blah, blah, blah. But in terms of role-playing game books, uh, I feel like if I could pull in 1,500 people um, that there's no project. Like, you know, want me to do Dragon Heresy and, and, and make money rather than lose money hand over fist? No problem. At 1,500 people, it'll be gorgeous. It'll be yeah. big. Yeah, production values values will be great. Uh, I'll have it printed in Eastern Europe, and you know, make a thousand copies because with fifteen hundred backers, at least the way that it goes, you're probably going to print nine hundred books minimum. 
because of the way that you know people still people who buy my stuff mostly go in for physical product. Yeah, they want to hold it, and, and I always buy the thickest paper and whatever. Um, it's usually not that big an upgrade, and, and the tangible feel of of the heavyweight coated paper in your hand is is satisfying. Um, it, the books last longer if the paper is better, if they're sewn, whatever. So when I can make large books, um, I, I do so. But the thing is, if you have if you have fifteen hundred people, minimum you're probably looking at nine hundred to a thousand copies that have just sold outright, and once you get past a thousand printed books, the marginal cost per book is really attractive. Even for you know, you've got ribbons and it's a sewn binding and a three millimeter instead of a two and a half millimeter cover and laminate and and UV emboss on the front. Like Dragon Heresy, I pulled out all the stops, but I wasn't looking. This was to my like my first big project, and it was totally a vanity thing. I was yeah. I had a great job. My wife was working at the time. I think I only had the one kid. No, maybe I had the two kids. Um, but in any case, I, I, I was financially, I, I could throw money at this and I didn't care if I made it back. Um, and I didn't make it back and I still have a thousand books sitting in a warehouse somewhere because I got, uh, overly enthusiastic. Um, well, if a thousand books is good, 1500 is even better because the marginal cost will go down. Well, that's a true statement unless you have, still have a thousand of them kick around in a warehouse somewhere. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, rookie mistake, that's fine. Um, but I, I was not expecting to make money i mean i hoped i would of course but i was oh, yeah expecting. but i wanted to make the coolest book that i could and just say hey you know i want to be able to look point this myself and say this is a great looking book and and i did it right and, and this is true um i didn't put out all three books i took the four hundred thousand words and ripped out two words in three um that's why it's level one through five and not level one through twenty yeah um the monsters are suitable for those characters the spell lists are suitable for those characters um, but I've heard a lot of people say that level one through five is kind of the coolest and most fun to play too. Um, where is the best way to find your games? Uh, like where, like, is there a specific website is, um, you, I, it sounds like gaming ballistics is the, the parent company. Can we find your entire catalog there yep. or gaming is it ballistic some of is, it on Steve no, Jackson gaming games ballistic and is, not there? Gaming ballistic is, is my company. Uh, everything that I sell. Uh, including Swords and Shields, are on my website at GamingBallistic.com. Uh, they are also available, some of them in, in pieces, are available at Warehouse 23, uh, Steve Jackson Games uh, stuff, uh, and uh, DriveThru. Uh, PDFs are available uh, on DriveThru. Dungeon Grappling is available print-on-demand. Um, as my first product, I, I put it listed at print-on-demand. But, by and large, uh, I prefer... To have them printed independently because I can get better paper, better cover stock. Uh, you know, uh, now drive-through doesn't do saddle stitch stapled anymore. So most, uh, m many of my works are uh, 32, 16, 20, maybe four, you know, 44 pages is almost enough for a spine. But all of those books that really, certainly 32 pages and fewer, are better stapled. Um, as opposed to the perfect bound with, with kind of the spine, right? Um, yeah. Perfect, perfect bound is nice. It's pretty on a shelf, but it doesn't want to lay flat, right? Yeah. Um, and whereas a 16-page book like Nordlander Folk here, if I open it up, right, it's going to sit. Yeah. And that's really what you want out of an adventure or a reference book. 
Um, so, listeners, so, yeah. if you're if you're familiar with the Paizo catalog, the Perfect Bound is what he's talking about. They're like the modules that they print, where you know it's it's a very thin spine. And the other ones that he's showing here, the stapled, are like the gazetters, where it's you know it's literally it's just like two or three staples in it, and you can you know because he's right. I mean, you're right. You know, I with modules and APs and stuff. There, a lot of them they're thin like that, and you know you're like you're basically putting something on it to hold it open just so you can use it so now some of my books um a couple of them um the four big ones that i did for the dungeon fantasy role-playing game which vary from 96 to 128 pages uh, i spent the money to get uh their soft cover but they're sewn so there, there's the the signatures which are the groups of 16 pages that make up uh, a book uh, are sewn together so they will not fall apart That's nice. uh, and and I also purchased a lay flat binding so much like a hardcover when you open these books up the pages come away from the spine so that you can lay flat uh, lay it flat on the table uh, without breaking the glue yeah. so those four uh, I'm very proud of the production values that went into those uh, because they're you can do what you would expect to do with uh, a high-end book, um, but uh, you know it, that's the kind of thing that you can do when you meet stretch goals and you're at five, six, seven hundred backers and whatever. But uh, um, in order to really take off, I really need to double or even better triple my my typical customer base, gotcha. and that's been the hardest bit. Is the people who buy my stuff. Are like this is great. It, it, it's it feels good. It reads well. It's you're responsive to to criticism and feedback and and you know by the time you know with the Kickstarters like you release the PDF and everyone gives you comments and then you re-release the PDF and then you get it printed so it's it's not riddled with errors and and it's tightly written and you've got great people working on it. And the art is good and blah blah blah. Um and and the people who get my stuff are are enthusiastic about it. But I just need two or three times as many people to be enthusiastic about it to really make the sustainable long-term as, as uh, compared to going back into science and engineering. <laughs> I wouldn't worry about that anymore. You're about to get that shield bash bump where you might get there we go. three oh. or four million listeners. Absolutely. Or not, uh, three or four of our millions of listeners to right. to come in there. Yeah, we don't have no, that's, yeah. Okay, so... Uh, <laughs> Uh, all that being said, we've covered a, a wide variety of, of topics here, and we're kind of drawn to a close. Uh, are there any final thoughts, anything that you're just like, you know what, I really wanted to talk about this, and I haven't found an opening for it yet? Any of that stuff stewing around? Yeah, um, let me let me close with the classic shameless plug. Um, uh, this whole thing is for you to plug yourself. Well, absolutely, yeah. but but you know, circling back around, uh, at the Gaming Ballistic website, or on BackerKit, uh, Gaming Ballistic has a page for Tower of the Moon. Um, that is the equivalent to a Kickstarter landing page. <clears throat> uh, it's got what Tower of the Moon is. It's got all the other product. It's got links that take you to the different available products and bundles uh, on the BackerKit website. Uh, BackerKit is great for many things, but building community and getting the word out are not strengths. Uh one of the reasons, other than I love talking about gaming, to be on this another podcast, uh, is because the backer kit um, facility for getting the word out uh, is seen uh, by uh, most email readers as uh, uh, mass mailing spam, which 
if I must be honest, it technically is. Um, because it is exactly that. Let me email 2,500 of my closest friends and say, hey, please get my stuff. Uh, and most email programs say, yeah, no. Um, we're going to put that right in spam folder. Um, and so Kickstarter, though, you opt in. And people come to your page and, and enthusiastically and use comments and whatever. <clears throat> and so there's some learning there. But go read about the project at Gaming Ballistic Tower of the Moon page. It's right at the top in the center of the page, Tower of the Moon. It'll tell you about all my stuff. Yep, big pretty picture for it too. There's, there's a big pretty yep. picture. Um, the uh, and then uh, the the backer kit Tower of the Moon um, pre-order, and it is it says pre-order, but it's not really a pre-order. It's an order. Um, you know, people who are ordering this stuff, it goes out the next postage day, right? I've got copies of it sitting on my desk. I've got uh, envelopes, and we're ready to go. Um, so as you get it, as soon as your card is charged, which will be as soon as I see the order, I hit card, charge card, um, you're going to get your PDF. Uh, you'll get an email that, that gets from ba um, uh, Backer Kit that downloads your PDF. It's a really, if, you're, if you like TFT, uh, it's a really good adventure. If you're curious about TFT, uh, there are bundles um, where you can get the hardback, a solo adventure, because you might not have, uh, 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 you might not have, uh, a group a group to play with uh you'll get tower of the moon and one other book and i can't remember offhand which one it is let me look i think it's citadel of ice um but uh it, but oh somebody ordered something um but uh, uh blah 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 give you the store i, I just want to look at what the uh, intro bundle is um yeah it is citadel of ice uh, so Vampire, Hunter, Belladonna, Citadel of Ice, and Tower of the Moon are all David Pulver. Uh, they're very good. Uh, Belladonna uh, is, is uh, a solo adventure. It's like choose your own adventure, but with death and stabbing vampires in it. Uh, Citadel of Ice is a nice, fun one-shot um, to play with your group. And Tower of the Moon is the same way. I deliberately chose those books. Uh, and plus you get a, a very a very nice hardcover copy of, of In the Labyrinth. Um, the the TFT made yeah. rule set. So those four seventy bucks in physical. Uh, I can't offer that. I can't offer the PDF. Uh, only Steve Action Games does that. Uh, but you could get that on from their store. Uh, I think it's like twenty bucks or fifteen. It's like seventeen fifty or something like that. Uh, maybe it's a little more. Point is, there's a great little starter bundle if you want to get into that. Um, if you're interested in the Dungeon Fantasy role playing game uh, or my Viking setting. Uh, actually, oh yeah, the, the, the thing that I really should talk about is one of the knocks about GURPS uh, as a system is that it is front-loaded. Uh, it is a point-by detailed system where you've got hundreds of skills to choose from and a ton of advantages which give you cool things to do, disadvantages which limit your character and your stats and blah, 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 blah. And it can take hours, days, weeks to generate a character if you're not familiar with the rules. So I got together with a real system expert. I'm pretty good, but Kevin Smythe is amazing. And with my strategic vision and his brilliant execution, um, and I don't pat myself on the back that much, uh, but this is a really cool product. And it's called Delvers to Grow, and it allows someone to use natural language to pick modules to make iconic, playable characters anywhere from the equivalent of like level one to three. GURPS doesn't have levels that has points, um, but like you gotcha. intro guys at like 62 points, pro super adventures are like 10th or 12th level capability at 250 points. The Dungeon Fantasy role-playing game box set, out of the box, so to speak, is like 8th to 10th level. 
it, it's you're competent. Yeah. Uh, some people like Zero to Hero. A lot of people like Zero to Hero. Um, and Delvers to Grow enables that, and it gets you playing. Uh, if you've never done it using the system before, maybe it'll take you half an hour. With the GURPS character sheet free character assistant program and Delvers to Grow, one of my Patreon subscribers uh, did it in three minutes. Hmm. Right? So this is, this yeah. is first level D&D fast. Uh, you know, this is roll three, six times, write it down and go play fast. Um, and, and so the biggest barrier to entry of what is otherwise a fantastic game engine uh, is making your paper person. And Delvers to Grow simplifies that beautifully to the point where you can say, hey, let's do a pickup game of Powered by GURPS Dungeon Fantasy role-playing game, and you can be playing within the hour. And That's that nice. is it's very nice, and it's something that before you never could do. Yeah. You had to sit with your game master one at a time to make a character if you were new to it. Blah, blah, blah. This bypasses all that and makes it a truly approachable system. So, listeners, basically what we're, you should really take away from all this is uh, go to GamingBallistics.com because there's just a lot of stuff. Uh, three different systems that you know are represented that we've, that we've talked about. There may even be more. And just just go check it out because... There's a wide variety of things. And it sounds like that is going to ramp us up for today. Uh, Doug, or Douglas, Doug, which do you prefer? I do good. Mr. Cole, thank you for joining us. And uh, Dr. Cole, I didn't go to PhD, evil PhD school for five years. Uh, Mr. Thing. So I couldn't resist the quote. I couldn't Dr. Resist the DC. Quote. Dr. Uh, DC, Dr. Doug, right. Yep. Thank you very <laughs> much for joining us. Thank you as well. I really appreciate the uh, the time and uh, the opportunity to do a chat about gaming. is made in association with Knights of the Octagon and the Farmageddon Gaming Convention. Find us online at shieldbash.net, on Facebook at shieldbash, on Twitter at bashshield, and on YouTube at shieldbash. Bumper music provided by Lee Rosevier. Other artists can be found in the episode description. Troubles in Otari, Abomination Vaults, Serpent Skull, and Pathfinder are the property of Paizo Publishing Incorporated. Leave a comment on iTunes for a chance to hear us read it out on the podcast. Questions and comments can be sent to shieldbashpodcast at gmail.com.